This podcast is brought to you by our patrons. To help support the show, visit patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. This is your beer, liquor, and other beverage news for the week of October 27th, 2018. ABM, Bev, slashing the prices of their stocks. Miller Coors doesn't need to know anything more about hops. The man who brought you your favorite drinks has passed. Planters Peanuts seems to have lost their damn mind. All this and more on Have a Drink News. Welcome to Have a Drink News, the show where you cover the week's popular news about what you drink. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. First up this week, we have a story from AB InBev. CNN Business reports Anheuser-Busch InBev slashes dividend as beer demand slumps. Coming from New York CNN Business, Americans and Brazilians have sourced on, soured on drinking mass-produced beers like Budweiser and Bud Light. Shares of Anheuser-Busch InBev plunged 10% Thursday after the Budweiser and Stella Artois Brewer said it was cutting its dividend in half and reported weak demand in those countries. ABM Bev on the stock market is BUD. Give a man a bud. Said he that they needed to slash the dividend to reduce its massive debt load. The company took on a lot of debt to acquire rival Saab Miller for $100 billion two years ago. The dividend cut should allow ABM Bev to save about $4 billion in cash a year, which it could use to pair back its debt, said Pablo Zwanik. Zwanik? Sure. An analyst for, that's even worse, SIG, an international group with analysts. Sequahana. Sequahana. A bloated balance sheet isn't the only problem for AB InBev. The company has struggled to adapt to changing beer tastes. Anheuser-Busch InBev says that market share for its core Budweiser and Bud Light brands have slipped once again in the United States during the quarter. Volume fell in Brazil, too. Overall sales still rose 4.5% during the quarter, largely because the company was able to raise prices for Bud and Bud Light outside of the United States. It has introduced newer beers, such as Michelob Ultra Pure Gold and Bud Light Orange in America. You know, I have some ideas of what Michelob Ultra Pure Gold probably is. (laughs) (laughs) Pure something. (laughs) Overall U.S. sale volumes fell more than 1% in 2017, while craft beer sales were up 5%, according to the Brewers Association, trade group related to the beer industry. Craft beer now accounts for nearly a quarter of the total U.S. beer market, where just a few years ago, it was only about 5%. AB InBev has tried to latch onto this trend, scooping up smaller brewers such as Goose Island, Blue Point, Tim Barrel, and numerous others in the past years. It also owns more than a 30% stake in Craft Brew Alliance, a publicly traded company that owns Kona Brewing, Windmere Brothers, and Red Hook Beer Brands. Still, it's been challenging for Anheuser-Busch, and they tap other and other beer companies. Shares of Anheuser-Busch InBev and top rival Mosin Coors, listed as TAP, have both plummeted more than thirty percent this year. That's a that's a good uh, uh, what do you call them the, the the letters for the stock exchange thing. Oh, I don't I don't know what those are called. But TAP, 
I'm like, that's a that's a good one. I like that. Yeah, good I'm job. I'm personally a fan of Heineken there. Heine. Heine. Heine, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, so it's a little long. A bit. Uh, Corona, on the other hand, con- with their Constellation brands listed as STZ, no no puns there, I'm sure, um, they have only fallen about 7%. They're actually hoping that their bet on legal reg- regulation of cannabis in Canada can help boost their growth. The company has just invested more than $4 billion in a Canadian marijuana company, Canopy Bro- Growth. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I hate to say ha-ha, but... It, yeah, it almost uh-huh. feels like uh, it's a great thing to, like, oh, yeah, things are really hurting for them, but they're taking the proper steps to make sure it doesn't hurt they, that bad. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I was thinking as the story was going on, we give a lot of crap for to Anheuser-Busch for being, for making bland, terrible beer. Uh, <laughs> say for being but, what they are? Yeah, but they also brought quality control to some extent, when they made their stuff. So, you know, they did something good once. <laughs> yeah, well, their investment in the Craft Brew Alliance has been extremely profitable for them because Craft Brew Alliance has, what is it, they're, when it comes to beer, they're, they've never seen a loss. The Craft Brew Alliance has only yeah. grown over the years. Like, they all are always making boatloads of cash. And, and Kona is... Tasty beer, like oh Kona, yeah, it's good stuff. You know, say that's... what you will about how much they own, you know, Kona, Kona's pretty good. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I would have gotten them and Red Hook if yeah, AB and Bev hadn't. I still can't put that get over stake into it. Yeah, I still can't get over uh, what Casey was saying when he went and toured uh, in St. Louis, uh, the Budweiser brewery, and they're claiming that that's one of their brands, and it's it's not. <laughs> Like they they own thirty percent stake in a company that does brew it, hmm. but they are claiming yeah. to be the ones who brew it. That that bugs they me. Maybe a distribution partner as well. I'm sure they are actually. If they yeah. own thirty percent stake, they're probably a distribution partner oh, as well. Sure, but it's in there with the rest of the beers in the display case. But indeed, as AB InBev slashes their dividends, Miller Coors is slashing research. It looks like. Yeah, it looks like everyone's type tightening the belts. Uh, but a uh, uh, Northwest hop farmers face a sharp reduction in research funding because of a major brewer plans to withdraw from an industry-funded nonprofit next year. Miller Coors, large brewer based in Chicago, will cease funding the Hop Research Council, a nonprofit that funds breeding and other research. 2019 and beyond due to continued beer industry headwinds and resulting budgetary constraints. Uh, the company cited other problems with the funding of the council, such as an equitable split of contributions across the beer industry and research benefits being available to non-members, according to a letter sent to uh, HRC uh, this summer. So they're mad that other people are benefiting from something that they are paying towards. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, you can kind of see that from a financial bottom line perspective. Like, why why are we doing something that helps these other people that are cutting into our profits? Hmm. But I would I would guess that most of the hops that have come out of the hop 
research council, and I'll do a little quick research here to make sure, but I would guess most of those are going to be coming out so that they provide flavorful hops instead of just high alpha acid hops. Yeah. Yeah. It's which the, would it's the opposite of what they those, want. Yeah, I'm, it would benefit yeah. those that um, that are actually craft brewers instead of these other folks. Right. We are a supportive initiative reviewing how public research and varietal development is funded by the hop industry so that all organizations that benefit are contributing equally, the letter said. Uh, uh, we got this from Capital Press, who have been unable to reach representative from Miller Coors pre- uh, as of press time. <laughs> Uh, in 2017, the country's uh, the company's contribution of roughly a uh, hundred thousand dollars represented approximately 16 percent of the Hop Research Council's revenues. Wow! So, you know, I would think that there was more money in the thing, but you know, yeah. still losing 16 percent is a big deal. That's a it's, huge it's, deal. It's a it's a big chunk. Uh, a lot of a lot of what this group does um, is they actually are doing research on preventing diseases. So not only how they can breed new hops, but also when you can prune, it looks like, in order to help reduce the disease prevalence that you're going to see. Uh, well, they say here the uh, Hop Research Council's finances remain stable due to catch reserves. Uh, Miller Corps' withdrawal from the organization means members, uh, however, must contemplate new revenue sources or cutbacks to research, uh, mm. said the administrator for uh, the Oregon Hop Commission. So, yeah, it looks like they're, yeah, they're they're okay, I guess, probably for the next, for the rest of the year, but they're gonna, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll reworking see reworking stuff. We'll see some bigger players in craft. Uh, like again, I'm sure they're already putting money into this, but maybe you'll see uh, Boston Beer or some of these other companies, uh, you know, are near that size, New Belgium, Sierra Nevada, step in and fill that gap. And I like, I like their, their next way of doing it here in the article, almost a a tax or a tariff put on each pound of hops. So one Mm. penny per pound fee in addition uh, to what you're paying already in order to kind of fund research. That is a great idea. Uh, actually. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and they do mention that uh, uh, the increase in uh, uh, in hot production are, are are helping somewhat to offset the funds, or at least they're hoping it will. Hmm. So hmm. it's not necessarily all bad news for them, but it does kind of feel a bit like. Uh, Miller Corps is taking their ball and going home. Yeah, they're <laughs> yeah, they're mad. <laughs> they mad. All right. Well, uh, let's keep well, in the, the, the speaking of going home. Uh, <laughs> he he's been being called home. Uh, Tom Jago, uh, spirits pioneer behind Bailey's, Malibu, and Johnny Walker Blue Label, has passed. Uh, British liquor executive and spirits pioneer. Passed away in London on October 12th. He was 93 years old. Uh, Jago, I'm well preserved. Yes, I'm just guessing <laughs> that's how keeps you young. How to pronounce his name? Uh, enjoyed more than 50 years working in the drinks industry, during which time he helped launch and revitalize a number of iconic liquor brands, 
including Bailey's Irish Cream, Malibu Rum, and Johnny Walker Blue. Thomas Edwin Jago uh, was born on July 21st, 1925 in Camelford, England. Oof. He graduated from Oxford University's Christchurch College sure. before serving as a Royal Navy officer in World War II. After the war, uh, he completed his history degree at Oxford before starting a career in the liquor industry in the 1950s. He lived Mad Men. Just okay, how come no one told me I had that option? <laughs> this this man is the idealized version I feel like of I was Justin. short-shaft. <laughs> he got to live Mad Men. He's, Br- he's British. He got to... <laughs> he's British. He got his history degree, and then he went into the liquor industry. Like, I'm just saying, he's he kinda lived looks, a better life than I have. He looks a little bit like Cotton Hill, just to say it. He killed them Nazis. Them Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> In 1973, while working for British Liquor <laughs> Company International Distillers and Vintners, uh, he helped concoct Bailey's Irish Cream. It was the world's first Irish cream and would go on to become the world's best-selling liqueur. Uh, Jago worked on the rebranding. I like to imagine someone brought it in something. Oh, I was just going to say, I like to imagine someone brought him in something and he went, no, no, put some liquor in this. <laughs> yeah. This this cream's not going to cut it. I need... <laughs> he also worked... Brought me chocolate milk and I need, I need some alcohol in there. <laughs> he worked on the rebranding of coconut rum brand uh, Coco Rico in 1978. He changed its name and packaging and moved bottling from South Africa, which was in the midst of <laughs> apartheid, uh, to England, relaunching as Malibu Rum. Uh, the liqueur is now the world's second most popular after Bailey's. So he was he was into the liqueurs. Uh, Jago left IDV in 1982, joining uh, Hennessy, where he developed a cognac for uh, Davidoff. Later with United Distillers, he helped develop Scotch whiskey Johnny Walker Blue in 2008, along with James Espy and <laughs> Peter Fleck. Jago founded The Last Drop Distillers, which discovers leftover casks of rare spirits in Scotland, France, uh, Portugal, and the U.S. before packaging them and selling them to connoisseurs. The Pioneering Spirits executive is survived by daughter Rebecca Jago and sons Barnaby, Dan, and Francis, uh, and their wives. And oh, his wife uh, Penelope. Yeah, apparently she died earlier yeah, this year. She passed earlier this year. And he was saying they were saying that Jago's wife Penelope died earlier this yeah. year. So yeah, hmm. we we owe this man a toast. <laughs> if anything, because he is behind a lot. A toast with Bailey's. I don't have any Baileys. Pina, col- Pina colada drinkers owe this man a lot. <laughs> so uh, Malibu rum, you get a coconut rum that you can... So here's to you, Tom. Indeed. What he didn't have a hand in making uh, is something terrible. <laughs> True. Yes. All right, well, uh, so here's something completely different in that Planters Peanuts, we're all familiar with Mr. Peanut there, makes first steps into the beer market. The brand... Why? (laughs) I know, I'm just... It's interesting to me, but I'm just like, what? Go nuts! Um, So Planters, which is a brand of the Kraft Heinz Company, I don't think I realized that. Mm. Um, uh, Pittsburgh and Chicago launched Mr. IPA Nut, uh, the company's first foray into the craft beer market. 
Citing a study conducted by uh, quarter one uh, from July, 64% of men agree that nuts are the best salty snack to pair with beer. So, uh, Mr. Peanut doesn't want beer drinkers to be without their perfect salty snack. (laughs) Yeah, this is according to a study, so i sure. Um, So, this is why uh, they wanted to bring that iconic taste of the peanuts to an IPA. Uh, (laughs) So... Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're monsters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mr. IPA Nut has a unique citrus aroma with a hint of honey roasted peanuts, followed by a slightly salty finish. Uh, <laughs> I don't... I, I would try I don't it. I think they know what an IPA is. I'd <laughs> try it. No, no, I will. I, I'm sure I'll get a chance to try it. Wink, wink. Uh, yeah. Because um, we do have to know... They- why didn't they make a... Just wondering why they didn't make a Goza. Yeah, that, well... If you're going to make something salty. Salty would go there, yes. I don't think uh, roasted peanut goes well. I think they Gosa, were going though. more mainstream. IPA seems safe. Um, but yeah, it says it's going to be available in yeah, four that, packs. That's, that's more likely. Yeah. Uh, four, four packs of the 16-ounce cans, so like the taller ones, for uh, about 10 bucks, And it's going to be uh, exclusively available in Illinois. And it literally starts today, the day of recording, October 27th. So, um, and it's only going to be at select stores. So I'm just like, why is it only like, why is it so limited? Um, But it's going to be at the Noon Whistle Brewery. They don't want their shame to get out. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be at the Noon, I'm sorry, and the Noon Whistle Brewery um, in Lombard, Illinois. So that's that's where it's, I believe, coming from. But it's going to be in select stores beyond the brewery um so it's of course got a uh a social media campaign with the hashtag beer goes nuts uh, <laughs> uh, yeah trick uh, just trick okay so they do have a quote from the um owner of north whistle brewing he said it would have been easy to make a great stout or porter with nuts but planters wanted to prove that nuts go great with any beer style. Mm-hmm. Therefore, they took their honey-roasted peanuts and made a great IPA that highlights both hops and peanuts. No. No. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to go ahead and stop them right there they, and say no. <laughs> they they should have gone with a stout reporter. That probably would have been better. They were so caught up in whether or not they could, they didn't stop <laughs> to think if they should. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> What has science wrought? <laughs> that just okay. No. Well, you know, I bet, I bet if they released this in Iceland, they'd still have beer. <laughs> because the headline reads: Iceland's bars run ran out of beer, trying to serve drunk U.S. sailors and Marines. I mean, it's bound to happen. Just want to let that headline sink in. <laughs> like all of Iceland. Well. uh... <laughs> Well, I'm not sure. It says, uh, founding father and principal author of Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson once quipped, beer, if drunken moderation softens the temper, cheers the spirit, and promotes health. kind of want that on a t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> the military never got that memo, they said. Uh, a national crisis hits Iceland this week with the force of 7,000 American soldiers and Marines who no- know nothing about the third president's propensity of alcohol, uh, alcoholic self-restraint. Uh, invaded the country's capital city of Re- uh, of Reykjavik 
uh, flexed an unquenchable thirst for frosty suds and swiftly drained much of the city's beer supply. Uh, Upon arrival, sailors and marines taking part in NATO's Trident Juncture exercise wasted no time getting wasted, wasted, Iceland Magazine reported, with uh, most making a beeline straight from the ship to the closest bar to locate, close with, and destroy beers. (laughs) Wow. It's Uh, the American way. It is. Uh, Borrowers tried to accommodate the onslaught of American patrons, but they were fighting an overwhelming force, said local blogger uh, Eric Johnson, I don't know. So give me, uh, give me your tired, your thirsty, your huddled masses yearning to drink beer. Apparently, wave after wave of dehydrated sailors, and marines strolled in the town, flinging local establishments of uh, for four days of uh, str- uh, four days straight in search of that old familiar embrace of sweet inebriation. Uh, one restaurant, Siet Simbienio. I don't know. I, that's a really bad guess. Uh, we definitely don't speak Icelandic. The article concu- uh, uh, agrees. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, we definitely don't speak that language either. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they said it was with the first one out of beer. The bar owners tried borrowing from other businesses that were better stocked, but the Americans were too many. We we can overwhelm. Uh, other bars quickly began. Yeah. Owners who said they'd never experienced an alcoholic assault put out a beer distress signal. One of Iceland's local breweries with a really long name that I'm not going to attempt because they're going to be upset with me, uh, answered the call and immediately began working overtime to distribute emergency beer shipments that could furnish the parched Americans with sustenance. Uh, apparent. Well, this article calls them the king of the north. Uh, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Uh, when the country's finally uh, ships finally departed Reykjavik, the uh, city's population of about twelve thousand uh, in a country of just under three uh, sorry one hundred twenty thousand in a country just under three hundred forty thousand was finally able to breathe. Uh, Iceland had survived the assaults. The Americans have drank their fill, and they have yet to be any reports of overindulgent debauchery. A true success story. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh... It, it feels like a number of our uh, scientific communities in the U.S. have the ability to do this as well, because I know for a fact that the um, American Anthropological Association uh, shuts down towns when they come there to go out drinking. Like, they immediately within the first night, whatever uh, the convention center is that they're at, they drink it out, and then the surrounding bars tend to get drunk out in the preceding days. And I've heard that like what was it our friend Aaron has told us that the uh, arachnologist uh, association when they meet the same thing tends to happen so it's nice to see that our uh, our boys uh, overseas maybe, maybe they just decide that they don't want them back and they just say <laughs> oh we're out of booze <laughs> well, <laughs> well they have some some numbers on uh, the the people taking part in the trident juncture uh, exercise. It's NATO's biggest military exercise since the Cold War. Over 40,000 military personnel from 31 participating nations, more than 150 aircraft, 70 ships, and a hundred, uh, sorry, and 10,000 vehicles. So, look, you hear those numbers? a lot of people that just sort of stormed yeah. Iceland. You hear those numbers and you hear them focusing on the uh, U.S. troops causing most of the damage. We're always, you know, we, we got to carry this team, guys. Come on. Uh, these other countries, you, your guys got to step up and do, the, do their share of this drinking. Maybe they just hit somewhere else other than Reykjavik. Hmm. 
Well, you know where they can't <sighs> hit uh, outside of Reykjavik? They can't hit a Golden Road uh, beer garden in Oakland. Mm. Uh, so, next story. Why is that? <laughs> Uh, the ability of average consumers to resist the overwhelming market forces of mega corporations is always going to be quite limited. If Walmart, for instance, decides to build a new store down the street from your home and they have the city on their side, good luck registering some kind of complaint or opposition to the construction. Stories of consumers who successfully warded off that kind of operation from encroaching on their neighborhoods are few and far between. That's why it's rather heartwarming today to hear uh, that the citizens of Oakland can officially be said to have prevailed against the global alcohol behemoth that is AB InBev, at least in some small fashion. Since March of 2017, consumers and activists in the city of Temescal uh, neighborhood have been battling against the AB InBev-owned Golden Road Brewing Company, which was seeking to open a new nano brewery and beer garden in the rapidly growing area. And it looks like all the opposition paid off. After months of inactivity, Golden Road has finally admitted that they're abandoning the project. Or as the Golden Road spokesperson put it, uh, after a lot of consideration, we have decided not to proceed with our current plans to build a beer garden in Oakland. We'll be shifting our focus to other projects. And yes, I'm sure they did burp in there. For the moment, it was announced uh, the beer garden project yeah. faced opposition from locals. Uh, some of the complaints were simply based on fears that the beer garden would be a noisy disruption given uh, veracity by the fact that the Sacramento Golden Road location had to change its hours to appease the noise complaints of its neighbors. But more visibly, the Golden Road location in Oakland was opposed by craft beer fans who accused the corporate brand of trying to undercut the area's locally owned and independent breweries, restaurants, and bars. In a statement to the website uh, Berkeleyside, Sam Gilbert, who uh, the owner of the neighborhood's Temescal Brewing, said the following, The project is part of a larger, deliberate attack on local independent beer by a multinational beer conglomerate that does not share the values of us or our customers. The result was a coalition of concerned allied citizens who formed a community group called the Temescal Friends to oppose the Golden Road Taproom. The group distributed flyers and created uh, petitions to get the word out and succeeded in getting quite a bit of national news coverage for their stance against Golden Road. Brewery responded by reducing the size and scope of the planned beer garden, but the locals wouldn't budge and their messages remained the same. We don't want you in our neighborhood... Uh, eventually, Golden Road had no choice but to acquiesce uh, in what stands. Acqui yeah, acquiesce. Acquiesce. Sorry, I got. Oh, I just saw that. Um, so, Golden Road, uh, which was acquired by ABM Bev in 2015, rapidly expanded in size. Just a little background in case you don't know who Golden Road is. Uh, the corporation, no doubt, saw. A yeah, because I was going to say, I don't know who, who Golden Road is. They, they were a big thing in craft just, years yeah. ago. <laughs> and then. ABM, they were one of the, not first, but like middle of the acquisition phase for ABM Bev. Uh, the corporation, no doubt, saw a potentially valuable mm -hmm. brand in the huge LA market, uh, not in the least because Golden Road had a young female co-founder in the form of Meg Gill, the company's public face, still a rarity in the craft beer world. Gill was quickly given her own TV show on Viceland as a platform to preach an ABM Bev friendly version of craft beer. Suffice to say, that show wasn't well-received by any beer geeks and was accused by many of simply serving as propaganda uh, for its parent company. 
Gill even lifted a Trumpism at one point by saying reports of Golden Road being part of Anheuser-Busch were fake news, despite the fact that they are indeed 100% owned by AB InBev. Golden Road is, of course, just one of many former craft breweries at, to find its home now uh, with <laughs> with AB InBev. They joined the likes of uh, Goose Island, which kicked off the whole thing, uh, Elysian, Devil's Backbone, Four Peaks, Blue Point, Tin Barrel, and Wicked Weed... As we all shed a tear. Perhaps ironically, the same street will soon see the opening of a different beer garden, uh, but one that is independently owned. Uh, Stasco, speaking with Berkeley Side, summed up the apparent feelings of many, saying the following. I don't know that uh, we need two beer houses within a block of each other, but it's better than an open-air corporate beer garden that doesn't care about the impact they have on the neighbors. Wow. Mm. That's a... Uh... It's pretty harsh, but I could see them. I could see we getting getting their uh, their hackles up about the yeah, whole thing. Yeah, it, it seems like that they just they're more about uh, the community aspect of it, which is a thing. Or like especially around Cincinnati, we see a lot of uh, attention paid to the communities that come around these beer gardens, and it's more of a neighborhood brewery. Like every neighborhood has one or two breweries, and that's where everyone in that neighborhood goes, and it's focused to get back to the charities in that area. And Golden Road just doesn't seem like a good fit for that neighborhood and they spoke up yeah good for them yeah all right mm -hmm. well not good for those people that spoke up no i won't say that <laughs> um so we have the new york prohibition party now being founded as many well, new yorkers celebrate the thousand uh the one thousand huh, the state's one thousand craft beverage producers which that sounds like they may have about a sixth of all of the oh craft beverage, not just beer. We come hmm. um, double the amount of breweries, distilleries, and wineries since 2012. A slightly less fun kind of party is bubbling up. The New York Prohibition Party, founded in 1869 and dormant for nearly 80 years, is back in action. The party relaunched in September of 2017 with the goal to establish a lasting prohibition of the manufacture and sale of alcohol to abolish the alcohol industry, and to establish a teetotal culture. In a report from nyup.com, the group claims alcohol is unhealthy, safe, and expensive, costing the state $16 billion in social, medical, and economic damages each year. Booze is a big business in New York. The teetotaler agenda comes at a time when New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is championing the craft alcohol industry, offering tax credits, grants, and other incentives to boost beer, wine, and spirits production in the state. This is seen in the rise. This is seen in the rise of alcohol producers and in improvements like allowing beer brewers and distillers to sell alcohol by the glass in their tasting rooms. There are some admirable reforms on the party agenda, such as abolishing the statute of limitations for rape and the sexual abuse of children and fixing the state's education financing. Sure. Okay. I mean, but... those are fine, but stay away from my alcohol. <laughs> so uh, Prohibition Party has actually put forward a uh, presidential candidate in most of the last few presidential elections um in 2012 they had their their international or no i guess it would be a national convention um at the holiday inn express in coleman alabama hmm. last year however it was a conference call <laughs> uh yeah look i don't think they're going to get a whole lot of 
whole lot of attraction on it like they did before. Fingers crossed yeah. that this doesn't catch on. Seriously. I just, it just, the reasoning doesn't, I don't know. Last up, we've got bread waste being used to produce beer, Brittany? Yes. So Forbes has this article, her uh, fighting food waste through bread brewed beer. So <clears throat> the humble loaf of bread is the basis for many global cuisines, but also represents a fundamental tenet of culture and societal norms. Um, so they're uh, talking about basically the concept behind this is um, simple. It, it takes bread nearing its best before date and turn it into a small batch beer to be released in early November to the LCBO beer store and local Toronto restaurants and bars. Um, the beer uh, is called, it's labeled as Ben a Slice. So uh, the label is actually kind of cool. So the proceeds will flow to Canadian charity Second Harvest a food rescue organization that works with businesses to take food that would otherwise be wasted and redistribute it to those in need. Um, I love these. There's like a lot of organizations like that. Uh, the organization recently launched a free online tool to help connect other organizations and food businesses called foodrescue.ca because Canada. Um, according to the release, uh, Second Harvest has rescued more than 127 million pounds of edible food mostly protein, dairy, and produce, bound for landfills since it was established in 1985. Um, it says, we, de we developed the concept of uh, to raise awareness for food waste. North Americans are the largest wasters of food in the world by a large margin, while millions of people in our own country don't have enough to eat. Yeah, that's about right. Um, it says, bread is the single most wasted food product, and we thought, what if we could repurpose stale bread and turn it into beer? That would make a perfect circle, returning valuable food to the food supply chain, while at the same time raising awareness in an interesting manner. So uh, the beer is made via contract brewing at Common Good Beer Company, based in Scarborough, Ontario. So that offers up space and facilities for local brewers. Yeah, it was just brewers. there last week. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It says, as a combination, the bridge between beer and bread is a natural one, obviously. Um, both contain similar ingredients. You don't say. <laughs> yeah. Both contain similar ingredients, uh, yeast, after all. Although the road to each of them is a very different process. Uh, and other brewers around the world have made the connection. These brewers include Toast Ale, great, uh, connected to the charity Feedback, and Crumbs Brewing, both located in the UK. And the notion of reducing food waste by demonstrating the brewing and distilling potential of near-expiry products has been used by some companies in the beverage space to start a larger conversation about the, the nature of consumption. Uh, as the world gets more crowded and resources become increasingly finite, those conversations are going to continue and get more complicated. Perhaps these issues are best tackled by examining the staples of the world's tables, such as a simple loaf of bread. I just think this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's Good great to see programs like that coming about because there are a lot of uh, wasted, wasted things headed towards landfills. Mm -hmm. Good job, Canada. I love all the bread names of these breweries, too. <laughs> or, I guess, contract whatever they are. All right. Um, I guess that covers the news for this week. Yeah, I think uh, we're going to... Yeah, we're... Sorry, we've had some, some issues, technical issues today. Um, 
But, uh, yes, we would like to remind everyone, this is our news-only show, um, but we also do a weekly long-form show discussing the science and history around what you drink. If you like what you hear and you want to support Have a Drink, go to patreon.com slash haveadrinkshow. We will see you again next Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. And uh, once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. I'm Christopher Walker. And I'm Casey Price. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this broker. <laughs> <laughs>